Welcome back, folks. We are here at episode number 11 of the Live Fire Cooking Podcast. And today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. So rather than just talking about what we cooked recently, we're going to take a certain cooking technique and really dive deep into that. And we're going to look at reverse searing. So the concept of taking uh, a meat and subjecting it to a low heat followed by a high heat is the basic concept. And there's a bunch of reasons why you would do that. We'll start with Christy. Can you break down your reverse searing Absolutely. I love reverse searing. Um, you know, when I think when I originally started grilling and barbecuing, I did the opposite. I did like a regular sear method where I would sear the meat first, and then I would put it over indirect heat to get it to that final temperature. The challenge with that is that you don't really infuse as much flavor into it, I don't feel like, because you've created a sear first, you're kind of building that crust and that blocks all that extra great flavor that you can get. Me being a barbecue primarily, barbecuer primarily, and liking to infuse smoke, I like the reverse sear method because you start out with a lower temperature, usually about 250 degrees. You go over indirect heat and that's where you can pick a really nice wood to complement whatever kind of meat you're doing, whether it's a, a cowboy ribeye or a beef prime rib or a pork prime rib. There's so many different opportunities or you know possibilities. Um, pick a nice complementary wood. For instance, um, I love cherry when it comes to beef. So I would throw a cherry wood chunk on there, keep the grill around 250. Um, you can even do this on a pellet grill with some cherry cherry uh, wood pellets. And then the secret really is to let it cook slowly until it gets to about anywhere between 10 to 20 degrees less than what you want your final temperature to be. Because once you're at, let's say you're cooking beef, for instance, let's say you want your final beef temperature to be about 130 if you pull it off at about 110 from the indirect heat and then you move it over to that direct heat, you got to realize that you're going to have some fast flash cooking time. You want your grill to be at like 450 degrees probably with that direct heat setting. And it's going to it's gonna cook really fast. So you want to have that 20 degree or so buffer that you're not going to end up overcooking your meat. So again, cook it slow and low, about 250 degrees, really impart that smoke flavor just let it like just really kind of meld into there, flash it over to that direct heat, sear it on both sides, pull it off at that temp you want. And then remember, you're going to have a little bit of carryover temp too, especially since you're ending it at such a really hot temperature. You know, you're going to pick up another five to 10 degrees as it rests. So um, that's the basic method. And in the end, your meat is going to be really nice and juicy, really tender, again, really infused with that smoke flavor. And then you're going to have that nice built up crust, especially if you put some nice herbs and rub on there right before, um, everything gets going. So it's definitely a preferred method of mine. Now, Christy, what, um, what's your favorite kind of grills that you're using when you're uh, doing the smoking part? You know, I, I really do a variety of grills. So if I want to just go with a smoke first, sometimes I'll do two grills um, because my smokers that I use regularly for competitions are called Hunsakers and they're big barrel drums. Um, some people call them ugly drum smokers. There's a lot of different brands out there and sometimes people even build their own drum smokers. But the concept is, is that the charcoal is way at the bottom of the smoker. The meat's way up high. Sometimes there's some sort of diffuser. Um, for me, I have a vortex plate that goes between the charcoal um, and the coals themselves. But there's a nice distance between the coals and that so it and the meat so there um there gets to be some separation and then you can just move it over onto the brio over direct heat you can move it onto a weber whatever um if you are using a pellet grill it's a little challenging some different pellet grills will offer um kind of sear stations and how that works is that you'll have your diffuser plate in your pellet grill so you can do your 250 degrees and then some of them have a little section that you can take out of the diffuser plate or pull off 
um, a little section of the diffuser plate, and then it'll go to a high temp. If your pellet cooker doesn't do that, that's no problem. Again, you can go take it over to um, to the Brio or to a Weber or something like that. Or you could even finish it in a cast iron pan. If you just don't want to light another whole bed of charcoal, you can just throw a cast iron uh, pan over fire or on the stovetop, and you can even get a sear that way. Yeah. Well, I know that um, I also use that drum smoker as well, especially when I'm doing the smoking aspect to just get that internal temp exactly where you want it to be. I really love the drum smokers, honestly. I mean, you know, everybody has their preference, uh, but I think that they're really consistent um, and really easy to use. I really like that uh, Oklahoma Joe Bronco. So yeah, that's what yeah. I've been using a lot lately. But um, that's really good info. Do you use the chips or do you use chunks? What are you really going to do for adding that extra flavor when you're coming in and, and uh, combining it with the meat? Great question. When I am cooking with charcoal, I am always using chunks. Um, I don't have to soak them. I basically will load up my charcoal area, the charcoal chamber basket, whatever, with um, with lump charcoal. Sometimes I'll use briquettes, and then I'll maybe add one, two, three big wood chunks on there, and throughout the cook. And that's after the lump charcoal ashes over. And then when I add those on there, they don't light up because the way that the drum smoker works or a lot of smokers work is then you're kind of shutting down the oxygen um, and really minimizing the vent space, um, you know, narrowing that space down. So not so much oxygen is flowing through. So your big wood chunks, they're not going to just light on fire. They're just going to slowly smolder. And that's where you're going to get that nice smoky flavor. If you use wood chips because they're so small, then that's when they're going to ignite and kind of just burn away. And you're not going to get that prolonged smoke throughout your cook. The alternative, though, is that if you don't have a charcoal smoker, you have a gas grill and you want to do this method, you can do that and still infuse some smoke flavor as well. That's when you would use the wood chips. That's when you would um, wrap them up in some foil, poke a few holes in that foil, and then put that over the direct heat area and then put your um, set your grill up so that some of the burners are on, some of the burners are off. The charcoal, or excuse me, the wood chip package would go over the over the burners that are on, but your meat, because you're doing reverse sear, would go over the side where your burners are turned off. So you could definitely do all of this on a gas grill and that's where wood chips would come into play. Yeah. That sounds really good. (laughs) (laughs) That's some really, (laughs) that's some great insights, Christy, especially like how you, you can use it on multiple, like the concept you can use in almost any grill that you have at home. Like you don't have to go out and buy a specific grill necessarily to execute a well you know, a good reverse reverse sear, you can do that using a lot of different pieces of equipment. The other, thing, the other thing is for anybody that may be living in the city or all you really have is probably a direct grill, you can easily bake uh, what you need to do in the oven the first time and then be able to get that fire cooked flavor right at the end. So I know I have a few friends that live in New York or LA. So if you're really wanting to do something like this at home and you don't really have access to a smoker, um, being able to put your uh, your oven maybe at like 225, uh, 250 and cook it to internal temp, letting it rest and then putting it back onto the um, whatever you're using to sear. So very easy to do uh, with whatever uh, equipment that you really have. Yeah. And they even, they even make the smoking gun, which is, I don't know if you've seen those. It's, um, basically like this little device that you put pellets in and then you light those pellets on fire and then it has a tube. And so if you were to cook it in the oven first to like, let's say you're doing a steak and you cook it to 110, you could then put it in a Ziploc bag. You could put the tube of the smoking gun into that Ziploc bag, let some of that smoke it in there, seal that bag, let it sit there for a good 15, 20 minutes, and then throw it on your gas grill or whatever other kind of grill that you've got your little charcoal grill to get that final sear or even in a cast iron pan, like I said, and then you're going to, you're going to sneak that smoke flavor in there in a, in a, you know, in a unique way without having a big old smoker. 
Yeah. That's a really I good use idea. that a lot for Another my, thing, uh, smoking go ahead, my Derek. drinks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the smoke gun is <laughs> yeah. so much fun for adding that. You know, you just got to have that bourbon while you're actually cooking over fire. So yes. smoking and doing like a smoky Manhattan or something like that. That's really fun. But I know, Jonathan, you have a, a good idea for people, especially maybe somebody that doesn't necessarily have the access to a smoker or just wants to get something a little more electronic. What, what have you been using for doing reverse searing? Yeah, so I've done um, reverse searing a number of ways, including much the ways that Christy was was saying. But for certain cuts of meat, one of my favorite ways to do it um, is using a sous vide. And um, especially like you mentioned, Derek, if you're in like an urban setting or you um, don't have a lot of space to have a big smoker, or maybe you want to have you're serving a dish that you want you want to have less of a dominant smoke presence, you want a little bit more of a, of a delicate palate. Um, this is another a great option for that. Or third reason would be if it's a cut of meat, like for, for example, like a um, venison shank, which is like the leg part, um, is an extremely fibrous piece of meat. Like there's a lot of uh, sinews and there's a lot of things that really make it a tough cut. And so even if you reverse it in a smoker, because there's a low fat content and there's certain cuts of meat that are like this, uh, and Derek's going to talk a little bit more uh, at the end here about some other, other cuts, but certain cuts that are very tough and have low fat content, it's difficult to get them tender in a smoker, even if you reverse sear them, um, just because they don't have a lot of... Um, moisture already in the meat. So with a sous vide, what you can do is take that venison shank and you put it in either a Ziploc bag with all the air out, or I have like a little vacuum sealer that I can do that with. And then what I do is I don't, you don't put um, a lot of like salt or any kind of aggressive rub in there because it'll, it'll kind of create a brine almost. What you want to do is put just your herbs in there. So put some herbs in there and then um, you're going to put it in. And what I often do is I'll cook it in the sous vide for maybe even 24 hours at a medium rare temperature, like 130 degrees. And so when you pull it out, it's still red on the inside, but it's perfectly cooked rim to rim and it's tender. So you have both a tender cut now and it's still that nice medium rare. Then you go and sear that either on the cast iron or on the fire and you have that amazing crust, you cut into it and not only is it tender, but it also has you know that nice rich um, color, flavor and texture all the way through the way you would if you have cooked like a ribeye directly over the fire. Um, so what a sous vide is, is basically it's a probe. Um, the one I have, I think it's made by Anova. Mm -hmm. It's like 50 or $60, um, really inexpensive. And you can, and you can put in any kind of, uh, tub of water and basically it circulates the water, brings up to a certain temperature and holds it there. And so it's really nice. Like this past weekend, I took it down. We're visiting my wife's family and I brought my sous vide with me. It's just a little probe. Uh, it's not a big grill to have to haul around. And I, then I just put it in a cooler. Um, and I use it to, to do a 20 pound Turkey that way. And then I finished it, um, over in a, in a grill. So there's a lot of ways you can use sous vide. There's tons of information online, but I like it as one tool in the toolkit. Um, uh, there's a lot of people that it, it's kind of a modern cooking technique and it kind of seems like it's anti fire cooking, but in reality, it's, it's a great complement for certain cuts. Um, because it just gives you that perfect control for a long period of time, allows you to get, um, really all the hard work done when it comes to getting a, a difficult cut of meat to a very palatable stage. And then you, you let the fire do its magic and really get that amazing crust on the outside. That's when you apply your rub. Uh, and it's really a great way also to, if you're serving for a bunch of people and you want to plate in exact time, a sous vide allows it to be at one thirty, whether it's five o'clock, six o'clock or eight o'clock. If your guests get there late, it doesn't really matter because it's staying at that exact temperature when they get there is when you do the impressive sear and then you're good. You're ready to, you're ready to eat. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's really a technique that restaurants have used for a really long time. If you go to a restaurant and you're like, why is their chicken so juicy? And why is mine not tasting like that at home? It's probably because they're doing that sous vide method. They're hitting that exactly perfect temperature and then finishing it off with that heat. So yeah, that's that's a really fun method. I've got an Inova as well. And the possibilities, I mean, from eggs to everything, to meat, to vegetables, everything is, it's really, it's really cool what you can get accomplished with that. Absolutely. It's a great tool in the toolkit. It doesn't replace a grill by any means, but you know, for such a small footprint to have it in your cupboard, um, it really allows you to, you know, have more flexibility. Even if you're doing your meat on the grill, you can use your vegetables in the sous vide and plate them all at the same time. Just gives you good options for having, you know, relatively inexpensive and small, uh, small product. Yeah, and you can even do it like with, with traditional barbecue cuts, like ribs. My sister one time went to a friend's house and she was saying that she had these amazing ribs. They were the juiciest she'd ever had. And I said, well, I'm really curious, you know, how they cooked them. Do you mind asking? And she came back to me. She's like, yeah, they actually sous vide them, um, to just before the temp that they wanted to hit. And then that's like ribs. You want them, you know, fall off the bone to be really great and delicious. And usually you're going to be at about a temperature of about 205 to get to that point. So yeah, if you sous vide them at 200 degrees until that meat hits that temperature, your your ribs are going to be really juicy. And then you get that nice bark and that nice crust after the fact. So yeah, it's just a reverse method. Cool. Absolutely. So Derek, can you tell us a little bit about uh, some different kind of weird cuts of meat that you like to reverse sear um, or that maybe, you know, lend themselves better to this technique? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think a lot of people love to use the classic cuts, especially just like ribeyes, uh, porter row or um, porterhouses. Uh, you can get that meat at porter row, which was what I was about. <laughs> um, T-bones, a lot of really big cuts of beef. I know I really do love using prime rib, especially, or not prime rib, but just like a rib roast in a lot of ways. You can reverse sear it and then you can uh, smoke it for a little bit and then you'll sear it just at the end. It gets a really great uh, crust and flavor. But there definitely are some different things. I know, Jonathan, you talked about doing like venison shank. That's, you know, shank is definitely one thing that you could easily do um, doing that sous vide and then you can sear it um, just at the end. But there are a few other things that you can do. Um, I know that I have really loved doing uh, just a ton of different stuff. I've really loved doing um, like ribs are really easy to do, especially if you want to do something a little bit more different than just like smoking them. You can get that charry, uh, just that good flavor just right at the end. Um, and I also know that I have done in the past, uh, I've done some cuts of chicken uh, and definitely done some cuts of um, salmon. Uh, just being able to smoke it real quick uh, and then searing it in my cast iron pan with some butter, uh, almost getting just a little bit of that basting of butter with some herbs. Uh, so, the, you know, honestly, there's a lot of things that it's really comes down to cooking something that takes a long time to cook uh, that you don't want to put under the pressure of a high temperature heat. The other thing that I really love doing is um, cooking it in or searing in unique ways. So one of those ways uh, is cooking on the coals, especially with beef, uh, with pork, with lobster, um, you can do a lot of things when you come to uh, searing on the coals, but when it comes to beef and you're reverse searing it, I love cooking it right on the coals, especially because you can get just a way, I think you can get an amazing crust off of it. Have you all cooked on the coals? Yeah, absolutely. I, I Many, many years ago, I was first introduced to it. And, and my first thought, and some of our listeners might have the same reaction, like, is that safe? You know, you're going to get the charcoal on the meat. So, you know, are there concerns with that? And, and 
I, I actually had it. I was in a class in college and my teacher did it. And he's like, no, this is absolutely okay for you. And, and plus you're not going to just eat the charcoal. So like if charcoal gets on there, you can dust it off just a little bit, but yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a fun like experience as well, which what, what we always talk about with grilling, it's just overall, it's just kind of just fun and really, um, organic that you're just really getting in there with your fire and with your food. So yeah. What, what are your, um, what are your techniques when it comes to doing that to make sure that you don't cook it too fast or too hot? Yeah. So I think the biggest technique when it comes to cooking on the coals is actually putting it on at the right time. So a lot of people want to put it onto the coals when either it's become way too ashy. So the charcoal has actually become way too white, uh, or they want to put it on before it's hot enough at all. Uh, so that means that majority of the charcoal is still pretty black. So the perfect time to put it on is right when you get that nice embery color uh, just in between the middle, um, right when it is both, uh, no, the outside rim is probably uh, still has some black charcoal, but in the middle is starting to get really red hot. And that's when you're able to really put it on really fast. And then you can actually be able to flip it without ever having to deal with any re residual charcoal still staying onto the steak. Um, you don't really have to worry too much about that. Uh, the, the steak, especially when you reverse sear, it's going to crust really fast. And mm -hmm. the other thing is you don't have to cook it on the coals very long. So only maybe a, a minute, a minute and a half uh, for most cuts of steak on the side of the coals, being able to flip it and then doing it on the other side. Um, it really makes a great crust. It's really easy to use. I don't think you need to be afraid of it or anything like that. Another way that I really love to use reverse searing is I'll smoke it and then I will actually baste it in my uh, cast iron pan with some herbs and some butter and some oil. Um, getting that flavor in there as well. Maybe even making like a cast iron sauce uh, right after. Yeah. Like an au poivre or something that, you know, like a cream sauce or, uh, mm -hmm. or a red wine sauce to go on top of it is another really fun way of doing that. That just adds a lot of flavor. I know a lot of uh, grillers out there sometimes are afraid of putting it into cast iron because you don't feel like you're getting as much of that uh, charcoal or that, you know, uh, wood flavor that you're hoping to get. But especially when you reverse sear it, you're going to get a lot of smoky flavor. And then the only trick that I know uh, when it comes to doing that is I would get the cast iron really, really hot and I would add your oil first. Uh, add your oil first, then put your steak in on one side uh, and let it sear. That's going to get you that really amazing crust on one side. So it's just uh, ripping hot and then you're going to flip it and that, after that, you're going to actually add your butter, your garlic, your thyme, your rosemary, whatever you really want to do to add in that flavor. And then you can start basting it. That's just going to really help uh, keep that temperature high so you can get a really great crust uh, and not burn the butter. Uh, so th those are my only tricks when it comes to doing that kind of stuff. Um, Jonathan, do you have anything to add? Yeah, so the Coles thing, back to that, what I, what's, I enjoy doing with that is it's kind of like a party trick a little bit. Like if you have, if you don't tell people you're going to do it right. And you have the meat uh, prepped in the fires at the right spot. And all of a sudden you just like throw it in the fire. Um, I, it's just, it all, it, it will never fail to get a reaction because the majority of people still haven't seen it done. And so when they see it happening, it's like, it's, they almost have like a visceral reaction. Like, Oh no, you ruined it. <laughs> and then you can kind of use it as a teachable moment to explain that. No, in fact, this is a, a great way to cook. Um, what I have always tried to make sure of and what I've anytime this hasn't worked as well for me is when my fire is too high. So really making sure that those coals are at a stable point, get a good hardware, 
hardwood coals, your fires burn down. If you're using live fire, if you're using charcoal, obviously it's a bit easier, but even then making sure that they're, they're at a stable point where they're not just flaring up like crazy. Um, especially if you have a fattier piece of meat, if you throw it on the coals and they're too hot, uh, it can really kind of create a little bit of a of a grease fire right when you put it in there. So that's the only thing to keep in mind. Yeah. And I would say if you're going straight on the coals too, to limit the sugar in your rub, um, cause that'll caramelize a little bit too fast and it could, it, sugar has a tendency to burn. So if you have any sugar in your, in your, uh, rub, maybe go for more of the direct heat on a grill grate as opposed to straight onto the coals. But, but it is a fun method for sure. And really? I love Absolutely. I love your cast iron idea too. I, d- making pan sauces, you can get so much flavor, especially with the reverse sear method, because as the as you're searing it and those juices are then getting into the pan and you're creating that fond, which is that kind of leftover residue of your meat that is in the skillet, it already has the smoky flavor in there. So it, once you are doing all the basting, you take your steak out to rest and then you want to pour in some of that cream or some of the other ingredients, maybe a little chicken broth, um, maybe a little a slurry of like cornstarch and, and chicken broth or flour and chicken broth to just make something a little bit thicker, that sauce is going to have that smoky flavor. Even though you're in the cast iron, even though the cast iron's never really been too exposed to smoke, it's because of that reverse sear method and all the smoke that the meat absorbed, it's just going to have that nice hint that's going to go really well as a pan sauce that you can ladle over your meat. I love love doing pan sauces. That's just been my recent addiction. Um, But I do know as well, if anybody wants to cook over charcoal, another thing to just keep in mind, I know Jonathan pointed out as well, is make sure you're using natural real wood lump charcoal. Yes. Um, Or you're actually using untreated wood. Uh, Briquettes are awesome and they have a purpose, uh, but they're definitely not supposed to be used for cooking on the coals. So make sure you're using something that is natural, easy to use, simple. Uh, Lump charcoal is by far the best. So that's my only other other thing to add into that. Um, but I do know that we are wanting to start a whole new segment to add into uh, our Doing Live Fire podcast. Uh, one of the things is, is that we get asked a bunch of questions all the time on our personal Instagrams uh, and on Brio and all of it. And so I know that we wanted to answer a few of those. Uh, and so one thing is uh, we're going to be posting this um, coming this Friday but make sure to start asking us directly some questions you'd love to have featured on the podcast. We would, we would love to answer them. Ask anything because we're really interested uh, in wanting to know more things. And we learn. I learn a lot of stuff when I get asked uh, questions that maybe I've never even thought about. One question that I get asked a lot is how do you get your cast iron clean after you use it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially how do you keep it uh, in a place where it's like nonstick or really being uh, really easy with it. So what do y'all have any tips or tricks or things that you've kind of learned over uh, your years of cooking uh, for making sure that your cast iron stays uh, pristine? I pre-season it. Definitely. There's a lot of good different um, like oil-based uh, rubs that you can apply, or you can just use your own, you know, just, just olive oil or, or excuse me, like peanut oil or something. And you could, but anyway, pre-season it. And then that way, when it's clean up, clean it, when it's hot, add a little bit of water to the pan, scrape out everything with like a good plastic scraper and then get it dry really fast and re-season it. Those it, it's that pre-step as well as cleaning it right away that have, that have let my cast iron last a really, really long time. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that is just, I mean, obviously the more you use it, the better, uh, it's going to be like cast iron is not meant to just sit around for long periods of time on a back shelf or anywhere that especially could have any moisture content. I've had cast iron rust 
really, really rapidly, like in a matter of hours, if it's, if, if I didn't treat it correctly, but if you're treating it correctly and then you're using it frequently, every time you use it, I feel like it improves that season and just gives it almost like if it's possible, more character. I don't know if that's actually uh, scientifically the case or not, but I just find that uh, the more I use the cast iron, the more it is exposed to uh, cooking oils and all that stuff, the better off it mm. is. I know for me, uh, it really comes down to making sure that when you are cleaning it, uh, using hot water and good old elbow grease, uh, I highly uh, discourage anybody from using soap on cast iron ever. Uh, that's just going to really soap is going to rip away a lot of the oil that you've already gotten onto it. And the oil is actually what's going to create it um, from being non or from being nonstick. So making sure that you continue to get a, a good base of oil and cooking on it frequently. Um, honestly, at my at the point where I'm at with some of my cast iron, elbow grease uh, and hot water used to be a little tough, but now it, most of it just comes out with a little bit of hot water, even if you're using something like sugar in it or something that might actually caramelize and stick at the bottom. It'll just pop right out. The only other trick I have at the end is... Um, always wipe it dry. And then I will spray uh, canola oil or avocado oil into it mm -hmm. again to make a whole nother layer right after I've used it. That's also going to really keep it from having that rusty look. Uh, mm -hmm. and make it shine and sheen. Uh, I know that there's actually a couple of great products out there that can uh, really help you do that as well. Um, but yeah, those are my only real tricks when it comes to using uh, cast iron, making sure it stays clean, cooking with it. And one of my favorite tools for cleaning is called a chain mail. So for those of you who don't know what that looks like, if you can think of like a scarf, like a loosely knitted scarf, but it's it's like made of metal. So it's about a square, you know, maybe four inches by six inches, but it's knitted similar to a scarf, but metal. So when you're cleaning it with that hot water, you just set that inside your pan and just kind of swish it around in there. And that really breaks up any stuck on residue that's really just kind of crusted onto your pan. But then as you said, as you season it, as you cook with it more, and as you season it after each cook, it's going to create this really like nonstick type surface. I mean, kind of like a Teflon to where then the more you use it, the more you use it, the easier it's going to become to clean, the easier it's going to be to clean. Yeah. And then for anybody that's out exactly. there that's interested, there is a brand out there. It's called Crispy. Um, yes. C-R-I-S-B-E-E. -E. Uh, they make a ton of really awesome products for making sure that your cast iron stays both clean and gets into a nonstick uh, scenario. So go and check those guys out. They got a really a bunch of great stuff that's um, uh, I've only recently started uh, to use that. But um, and, and if you don't have access to that elbow grease, uh, hot water and just using a little bit of uh, high end oil at the end to just create a nonstick. Uh, is really great. Absolutely. And I think one point in this discussion at the end is like, you know, just to touch on why you should use cast yeah. iron because it's like, well, that sounds like more work. Why don't I just use it? And it's like, no, it's, it's not. Some people kind of uh, think that it's a myth that food tastes better in cast iron. It's not a myth. It's actually better. There's a bunch of reasons why, um, but it does, it is worth putting in the effort um, to use cast iron, particularly if you're ever going to be interested in or doing any kind of fire cooking. Um, cast iron is the staple for campfires for hundreds of years now mm -hmm. for a good reason. And so just a reminder that it is worth putting in the effort um, to use cast iron. Yeah, absolutely. We should definitely do a whole podcast on just cast iron because there's so much that we could share with what you can do with cast iron over live fire. 
And there's so many cast iron companies that are out there and people, I, I think that there's a lot to be known. And I, I agree with Jonathan, do not be afraid of using cast iron. I know I said it earlier, it really is a great flavor adding tool. Uh, and it's also really good at making sure if you want to cook with some form of liquid, uh, it's going to make sure that it obviously doesn't spill into the fire. And it's uh, it also ke keeps a great temperature uh, mm -hmm. control over your cooking surface. So really, honestly, every every fire cook, in my opinion, should have a high quality cast iron pan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Derek, touching on what you were saying earlier a bit ago about questions. So um, it is something we want to we want to bring into the show on future episodes here is if you have questions, this is a format here on the podcast where we have time to really go in depth and answer them the way we just did with the uh, cleaning question for cast iron. So submit your questions. You can you know message any of us, respond to stories or even in comments, and we'll just keep an eye on them and then we'll bring them up in our uh, future episodes. So then be listening for that. And we'll try to, at the end of each episode, have like a mailbag section where we answer some questions from the community um, and hopefully educate everyone on some techniques and, and get people's questions answered. Yep. Awesome. Looking forward to seeing what people throw our way. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll probably be stumped from time to time, but between <laughs> the three of us, I think we'll be able to, uh, you know, make our way through yep. it. So, um, Derek, uh, you have anything, any, any final thoughts signing off? Uh, no, but get out there and start your fires because it's cold. Uh, one thing is, um, you know, food and the temperature outside does affect it a little bit, but make sure you get a good old, uh, rip and fire and you should be able to cook very easily, but, uh, definitely stand near it and wear warm clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And on my end, um, just want to remind everybody that I do have my 12 days of Christmas giveaway going on right now. I've got over $4,600 of grills and accessories and charcoal and meat and all sorts of stuff that I'm giving away. So make sure you pop on over to my Instagram account. It's Girls Can Grill. I've got a new one going up daily and the big grand prize is on December 12th. Awesome. Love it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We appreciate the support and submit your questions and we will hit them on the next episode. See you next time.